This is Film Tank. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. We're going to make film history. Can you say that again? Just the way you say it. Baby, it's time to lose their head. They won't know what they're looking at, but why they like it, but they'll know they want it. everyone and welcome in to our little podcast here called film tank i am alex diekman along with nick cheney hey hey buddy how's it going i was going great how are you i'm good it sounds like where i'm on a phil hartman game show or something on snl so oh man thank you anytime Tucson Egan, also back and joining us on this episode. Hello! Hey, it's so great to see you guys again. Man, this is just a, like a nighttime show. It's good. Yeah. I mean, I like I'm, not, I'm not actually looking at you guys. We're actually talking over you know, Skype, but like, it's nice to be in your virtual yes. presence once again. I'm looking at pictures of you. Absolutely. Oh. I saw no. Tucson in a leather... No, it's a... A denim jacket? That's not me. Yes, it is. I'm looking at the <laughs> Skype thing. Nope, that's not me. Oh, okay. okay. I'm not oh, doing wait, it. you're looking at my photo. Yes, what do you think okay. I'm talking about? I'm trying uh, to I say... I was looking at somebody else's visual feed. Why would I... No. Come on, Tucson. Anyway, I, don't, I can't see because the picture is tiny, or at least I have bad eyes. Uh, huh. So I can't discern the fabric of the jacket, but it is very snazzy. It's denim. Okay. Thank you. You're you're welcome. That yeah. is you. Billy Tim denim. Denim like a jade. <laughs> Sorry. Random Ocean's Eleven sidebar. Random. Yeah, we got plenty of those here. So uh, on this episode, which is two thirty one. A lot of episodes we've had on this little podcast here. We are going to talk about a Netflix film from a couple of years ago, which is Gareth Evans' Apostle. Uh, Gareth Evans, who most people would probably know from the Raid films, uh, which were released in 2011 and 2014, uh, put this film together for Netflix. And it is a bit different from uh, the Raid films. So... Apostle uh, was released, uh, as I mentioned, on Netflix in 2018, and it surrounds, in 2005, a drifter on a dangerous mission to rescue his kidnapped sister tangles with a sinister religious cult on an isolated island. Oh, hold on, hold on. You said, huh? to, you said it takes place in 2005? Did I say that? Yes. Okay, well, that was a mistake. <laughs> because it takes place in 1905. Yeah. So, okay. You were Thank you for uh, bringing that up. No problem. So the film stars Dan Stevens, 
adaptations of Downton Abbey and uh, Beauty and the Beast, among other things. Uh, in this film, playing the character Thomas Richardson. Uh, and then there's some other people who show up throughout here. Uh, most notably, Michael Sheen, uh, who plays Malcolm, the uh, the Book of Malcolm. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about all that. And there's a lot of other people here who are pretty unknown to most American film viewers, I would think, uh, including Richard Elfin, Paul Higgins, uh, Bill Milner, uh, Lucy, and also Lucy Boynton. I'm sorry. Uh, gonna say yeah, I was going to say Lucy Boynton, who was uh, recently uh, <laughs> uh, telling uh, Romeo Malik about Live Aid in Bohemian Rhapsody, is here. Oh my God! And also uh, Sharon Morgan playing the role of her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I will say first uh, first pass uh, when I watched this for the first time when it first came out in 2018. I was like, Is "That Tobin Bell." So oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was. I don't know because she's wow. like Could the first time you see her, she's kind of win. bald looking, and it's. I don't know. There's just some about it. I was like, ah, he's back. Jigsaw, is that you? I had a similar-ish reaction where the moment I first saw them on screen, uh, particularly, you know, surrounded by the vines and stuff, I, for some weird reason, decided to check to see if it was Tilda Swinton. I could see that. I didn't think it was her, but I I wanted to cross that off before I continue to think yes or no I mean, they clearly didn't have a lot of money for star power for this. Uh, and Dan Stevens was a good casting choice. Um, but there's not a lot of other names here. And Michael Sheen will pretty much do anything. So, yeah. yeah. Once but at the same time. Um, okay. <laughs> he was an so, episode of uh, Doctor Who, wasn't he? Um, most British actors are, yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Anyway. So, uh, who wants to go first? I know Toussaint picked this episode, even though he had not previously seen the film. I'm the only one who had seen this prior to uh, the last week or so. So, um, Why? do you guys want me to go first, since I this was a repeat viewing for me? Or do you, when do you want to take the baton and go first? Oh, boy. How about, how about you go first, and then, and then I'll go first. Yeah. And, that way and it's then broken back. up a little bit. Yeah. Oh, okay. Boom. In what way would it be broken up? Well, we'll find out. <laughs> okay. So I watched this, I think it was either on Halloween or right around Halloween, the year it came out. So about two years ago. And I had been drawn, not necessarily because of the horror uh, dramatic religious cult content, but because of Gareth Evans, uh, that was absolutely the driving force behind me, uh, watching this film. Nick had got me into seeing, uh, the first raid. Uh, and then we actually went to go see the second raid in the theater together in 2014. And it was a delightful experience. And, uh, I'm very interested to see what Gareth Evans did next, and it was available to me on Netflix, so I watched it pretty quickly. And uh, first thing to note is that this film is very different from the Raid movies. 
Boy, uh, is it. <laughs> Uh, so if you're going in and you're just planning to see nonstop action for two hours, you're going to be disappointed and you're going to get something else, uh, which is a very unique story in some ways. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I will say, even though this is not the kind of movie that I in general like, um, I've been coming around a little bit more to these kind of films in the last few years. Uh, it's taken a long time for me to get into any kind of horror, but uh, this kind of horror in particular has not really been my bag. But the way that it was done here, and I think a lot of the elements that are added in this film make it a winner for me. And I don't think that this is spectacular, uh, but I also think this is quite good. And I, I like almost everything about this. I do think that there are parts of this film that drag a bit. Um, the kind of very large and shocking moment that happens about an hour and a half in. Uh, after that moment is when we are in the climax of this film. And it feels like that goes on for at least 40 minutes. Uh, and it's, it's, it's too long. It's just too drawn out. Uh, it has too many highs and lows in what should be the finale of your film. Uh, instead, it just drags out in this really unusually paced um, presentation. Other than that, though, um, I love a lot of what's going on here. This is one of the best nighttime lit films I can remember in quite some time. And it's not like a cinematic masterpiece or anything, or, you know, a Roger Deakins film or something like that. But, um, you know, it reminds me of it comes at night in terms of the way that they were able to have light coming from behind places when we see characters moving from building to building or through the woods um, so there's a lot of beautiful images here. When we do have violence, this is a hard R violent film uh, that has some majorly fucked up moments. So if you're in for that, you're going to get your you're going to get your rocks off. But I feel like his violence here is more refined, more like Tarantino like violence, where he's he's. He's put it out there for you and said, I want you to watch this, but I'm just going to dangle the carrot in front of you and make you watch the rest of this shit to get to the good stuff. Uh, and that happens here. I will say the one part that I loved the first time and I loved even more this time is the uh, guy who is trying to assassinate Malcolm early on in the church uh, and gets impaled with those uh, wooden spears by his guards. And Oh man, does he get fucked up? And it is quite a sight. So I've got a lot more thoughts and I'm, I'm kind of uh, jumping on those already, but I thought this was a good film and I liked a lot of the tone. I liked a lot of the elements in this. I liked a lot of the music and the sound effects. Uh, and I think that the story here is pretty good. Although the idea of the failing crops, failing animals, religious cult is a little overdone at this point, but that being said, it was a good film, especially as a Netflix release uh, in an era two years ago when they were releasing nothing but dog shit. So uh, I'm a fan. And Tucson, go ahead and take it away. 
Okay. Uh, thank you, Alex. Uh, so I was the one who recommended uh, uh, this film for this week's episode. I had never seen it before, and I'd always intended to see it, but like never, you know, never really got around to it. That's sort of the the way it is with like Netflix, like adds new content that you're not like consuming. Sometimes it just gets lost in the stream, you know, uh, so to speak. So I just on a whim decided to uh, recommend this because I was looking for an excuse to watch it because it is like two hours and some change. And like, you know, you have to like commit to like a, a film like that. Um, I gotta say, I was not as, uh, I, I was not nearly as positive about this film uh, as Alex was. I thought it was uh, boring. I thought it was very boring uh, for a period horror film. I thought it was uh, especially boring as a cult film. Uh, I, at one point, felt like I was watching... I, I will agree that the, this is better than a lot of the other stuff that like Netflix usually adds uh, to their, their service in, in terms of like original horror. But for me, it just felt like an off-brand uh, A24 film. I thought the color grading was uh, sort of unexceptional. Uh, I thought that the uh, cinematography and the camera work was kind of annoying where they would have like these weird like unsteady cam, like close up following shots of like Thomas, the main character. Um, I, nothing about this really, really jumped out at me. Like even in, in terms of like the, uh, the creature design of uh, the witch that was captured by uh, Malcolm and the two other founders. And it was basically sort of like this, uh, this, fertility sort of goddess who they would like feed blood in order to like sort of like get their crops like going um that sort of element i guess the the mystery of like why all the uh villagers were bloodletting because that's what they were offering to her to um go forward um the uh the weird creature that basically guards the witch uh that has like this like i don't know a barbed wire like mass sort of like wrapped around its face I'm gonna say it looks like look, looks like a honeycomb. Honestly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks like a honeycomb. It looks like uh, it honestly looks like a knockoff like Silent Hill character. Like it's it's not Pyramid Head. It's like Pyramid Head's like deadbeat cousin who like never really found his own sort of like lane. But you know, uh, I will say that you know I I enjoy the violence in that it reminds me so much of what I enjoyed about the raid. Uh, but in this sort of context, it really didn't do anything for me. It just felt sort of uh, out of place because even as cool as that scene was when the uh, the guy, uh, the assassin was trying to like go after Malcolm and he gets speared through, like I felt like that, that just felt like something that I would see in the raid. Like it was shot as though it was like a, like a, like a sort of death from the raid. And it was like, and, and, like the the second notable like violence scene, not the only violence scene, mind you. There's many others, like uh, the guy getting drilled in the head, but Thomas uh, basically breaking out of his uh, uh, breaking out of his hold and basically like uh, killing the uh, the guards who were holding him. That felt like a scene out of the ring, and uh, yeah, that that just it, it felt kind of weird and out of place um, for me. It just uh, I don't, I don't know what it is. Like this, this film just never really grabbed me and it never really surprised me and never really made me want to, uh, 
sincerely sort of like invest in sort of the plight of these characters. Like the the name of the the, the film is Apostle, but I kept on thinking that maybe like apostate would be a better name for it because like Thomas is a former priest who sort of like renounces his faith after being branded and like having like like him him being abandoned by God in sort of a way as like his fellow like uh uh his fellow priests are being like murdered uh by people that they're actually trying to convert. Um yeah. Yeah. But I get why 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 it's called that like why why it's called apostle because it's about this man like moving from an apostate back into sort of like reluctantly reclaiming his faith even in the face of like horror. So Eh, it's okay. Those are my first impressions. Right on. Um, to son, oh, <laughs> my little doggy. Sorry. Um, Tucson, uh, when you say that the violence yeah. felt out of place, I would say that while I disagree, I also concede that there is a certain. Uh, uh, off colorness to it, whereas not like, the not the violence in and of itself, but no. rather how that that violence is choreographed and how yeah. it is filmed. Like, like it feels, when it watch, feels like the guy who who filmed the raid, right? And it, when you watch the raid, you're watching violence for the sake of violence. So there, it completely works. So I will agree that, um, ha, you know, borrowing his own style essentially, um, and transplanting it here is not a seamless. Uh, transition. I will say there is one scene of violence that I think is actually totally and completely emotionally charged and completely works. Um, and I say that as someone who's actually a big fan of this movie, which we'll get into, but just because we're talking about violence, I'm going to quickly shout out that the only time when I thought that like this feels like the raid, but it also works, is when the... Um, the basically the film's de facto villain uh, and the 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 suitor are fighting after the girl has been murdered uh, with her baby. When they're fighting in the in his homestead, um, while it is a slightly abrupt shift into that kind of even more handheld uh, jerkiness of the camera and whatnot, I felt at least there was a reason for an extremely charged, uh, you know. Uh, headspace and whatnot for both characters um that it was kind of overtaking the entire scene so um i will I, i'm just, basically i'm just giving a shout out to that scene in particular and that was the the one time where i thought that the raids uh pastiche so to speak perfectly and seamlessly worked in this film in a way that while i personally liked all the violence in this movie i could understand why it would be incongruous at at other points in the film um one thing I will say is that I have a weird affinity, so I don't really like westerns all that much. Like, I um, have certain westerns that are like my all-time favorites, movies, you know, because I, you know, I like a little bit of everything, but they're definitely not my favorite thing. I do have a weird affinity for what I consider to be domestic westerns, where we have that kind of era, um, but it's completely devoid of the American archetypes of the Western, you know, so no sheriffs, no whatever. Uh, and also where it's basically relegated to a small community and we kind of see the daily going-ons and whatnot of a 
uh, a very small region and the way that that ecosystem either thrives or dies. And obviously, <laughs> this movie certainly has quite a locale uh, at the center of it. So I, maybe that's what was kind of pushing me over the edge of really liking this because I fell in love with the set. Um, I thought, for the most part, as Alex alluded to, it was... Uh, gorgeously captured, and I especially at night, like for such quote unquote use of natural lighting, it was also always uh, uh, straddling the line of being picturesque, but also uh, still enough shadows to you know uh, feel like you're actually there and whatnot. So I very much appreciated that. Um, uh, I absolutely loved this entire kind of. It almost felt like a little Deadwood if Deadwood was set by a cliff, you know, and so. Um, I, I, I ate that part up. Um, obviously, the entire religious motif, or I guess I should say plot, um, has been done before millions of times. Honestly, um, there's nothing new there, and I was pretty much okay with it because I'm usually okay with anything that kind of, uh, argues against dogmatic uh, following of, you know, religion in general, so I've, I had no real qualms with this, but that's probably a personal thing where I, you know, look for that. <laughs> um, but overall, like, I kind of agree with anyone who dislikes this movie. Like, the, the characters are very threadbare, and obviously this is a very um, loose film when it comes to moment-by-moment basis. However, uh, I, you know, The Wicker Man is one of my all-time favorite movies, and this has nothing on that, granted. However, the fact that this was at least similar enough to that where it evoked that, but also had an inverted premise, uh, because here there's a cat-and-mouse game, whereas in The Wicker Man there's something almost even more sinister going on. Um, I enjoyed that this was a slightly different take on that kind of uh, environment and dynamic between the protagonist and the um, and the community at large. So, I I don't know. This was like one of those things where it was like it was almost so slight that that's why I liked it. Like I didn't really feel like I had to give myself over too much uh, to be entertained by it, and yet I also felt like there was an so much work that went into the production, and I, I think the acting, I thought the acting was actually pretty great, that, like, this is my version of fast food, <laughs> is, is, is what it looks like, basically, so, um, I absolutely loved it, it's by no means great, but, um, you know, I'm probably gonna choose it over a lot of other things, not because I should, but because I'm hungry, so, uh, yeah, those are my opening thoughts, but I just thought it was a rollicking good time. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd for the most part agree with that. Uh, Nick, you talked uh, in your opening remarks about the religious aspect of this film. Some I didn't speak too much on in my opening thoughts, but we might as well talk on that and get that out of the way, since that is a major part of this film's storyline uh, and this film's background. Um, I thought so much of it um, was perfectly utilized here. Even in the way that some of the shots were done, um, even if it wasn't like, you know, like reinventing the wheel or anything like that, um, the upwards from the ground view to start when Dan Stevens is being dragged towards the burning crosses, yes. 
that just looks so good. Um, I, in my I opinion, definitely one of my favorite shots from the movie. Yeah, and there was—I don't know if the film ever reached anything as as um, intriguing for me as that in terms of just a viewpoint, but. Throughout the entirety of the film, the focus on religion is is for me um, kind of a background character, which is weird because it's definitely at the forefront in this community as they are um, they have pledged themselves to this uh, obviously created Bible from Malcolm uh, as he has created this total farce religion uh that uh really i think probably could have been expanded on a little bit more just because there's clearly nothing about this religion uh these people just to me at least appear to just uh not even pray but just live off of um this being who these guys found on this island and uh the one asshole found a way to uh, completely take over uh, and create crops in this really heinous uh, fashion. So it's just really weird because it doesn't ever really get expanded on in any way, uh, which is fine because it's all bullshit in my opinion anyways. But at the same time, it is a little weird that even though there is a lot happening in the background, we get almost nothing uh, in terms of the story of how these people got taken into this cult. Yeah, you know, what you're saying is actually something I thought about while watching it, which is that even though I pretty much love this, um, I actually think that if somehow, even though it never would have happened, but if somehow Netflix had commissioned Gareth Evans to make like an eight-episode miniseries, that this would have actually been a lot better because I think that would have helped with two areas, which is that one, like everything is so threadbare and, you know, nothing is expanded upon. So obviously, you know, we could have an entire prologue pilot uh, premiere episode where we at least figure out a little bit about what's going on between like Dan Stevens and his father. Like I know they say it, but it doesn't really uh, begin to cover it. Um, and then yet also maybe do an entire episode in the community of him day-to-day living with no real sinister aspects and, you know, save that for later. Or then even if you segregate the violence like the movie does to the later, you know, parts, um, it would make a lot more sense why all of a sudden it's this episode that is shot with handheld camera maybe, you know. So I feel like those things would have gotten a lot better um, had it had actual room to breathe and had we... uh, uh, basically spend some time in this community, whereas the movie just has to barrel through. Like, I know, Alex, you called this slow pace at one point, which I can kind of understand, but I actually thought the pacing was, like, super accelerated, um, in, just uh, with regards to, like, how it goes through these plot points and whatnot. So um, I, this is one of those times where I'm like, I actually think its weakness is that, not that it should been, be a longer movie, but that it should have been... Uh, elongated into a long-form miniseries just so that way it could actually uh, lay the foundation for a lot of these characters and uh, pivotal turns. 
Yeah, something else that I really liked is a lot of, uh, especially early on in the first 30 to 40 minutes of this film, uh, the way that Dan Stevens' character uh, weaves his way into the community, just sort of seeing that his ticket has a different part of it than everyone else's, so he finds a way to have someone else take his ticket. Um, The way he gets on talking with Jeremy and ends up sort of befriending him in a way uh, and then ends up talking to uh, Lucy Boynton's character and, and almost becomes an entrusted member of this community. I mean, he, his character is almost, you know, fashioned as like an infiltrator, like somebody like what Leonardo DiCaprio was trying to do in Gaines in New York, where he's trying to gain access to the top levels uh, so that he can thwart whatever the plan is. Um, so that was that was interesting. One thing I will say, uh, and y- you have mentioned a couple times, and I mentioned it too a little bit, that the story here is a bit threadbare, especially with the characters. Um, something that makes no sense to me is this idea of them trying to get this ransom when they live on an island where there is no currency. So um, They got to buy stuff from the mainland. Okay, but uh, I don't know. Their plan just because their whole life seems to be surrounded uh, on living. And, and I mean, that's what the whole religion, at least from what I've grasped from it is, is completely founded on is living off of uh, this natural reproduction that happens because of the witch or her, or whatever you want to call her from the Island. So this idea that they've concocted this plan where they're going to kidnap somebody and for somebody to pay a ransom so they can then take the money to go pay for I, I don't know the whole thing just sounds like um not very well thought out shouldn't they send the police like if it's confirmed <laughs> that she's dead shouldn't they just send the police or the army or or someone not if you want her back alive um but if they know that she's not alive anymore <laughs> Yeah, no. Um, actually, I agree with you, Alex, on that the ransom, kidnapping, all that, that entire storyline um, is basically not uh, not thought through at all, both on a character level and on a script level, to the point where it's even also kind of lackadaisical as far as when they want him and when they don't, because from the moment he goes under the house and then, you know, he first discovers a goddess and then gets back out from under there they don't immediately capture him which is weird they capture him by the time they're doing the public uh, lobotomy but there were a few other instances in which the paths are crossed with his character and the community and the guards and yet they basically leave him and it doesn't really make any sense and it also takes the evil guy screaming at the guards to like grab him, you know, for him to then be, you know, whatever, even though 20 minutes prior, that was like the only thing they cared about for understandable reasons was, was, you know, getting him and tying him up and whatnot. So I agree that that all, that whole thing is a very flimsy excuse, I think to give it a sense of urgency that honestly, I don't think the film necessarily needs, um, because while it benefits it in the first hour, um, you know, it gives it that kind of cat and mouse vibe and, you know, some tension and whatnot. Um, there's already enough tension if they had just, you know, 
if his sister had disappeared and then she wrote a weird letter before maybe they did something to her and then he decides to infiltrate like that that's already fine and well you know in and of itself um so the ransom is especially half-baked considering that for sure indeed <laughs> yes Amen. so uh you, you you mentioned the lobotomy scene yes. so let's talk about that because yeah, let's that, talk about that. That's uh, I, I will say I didn't remember a lot of specifics from this film, so maybe uh, you know that meant that I didn't love it as much as I think I do. I don't love it either, but I like it quite a bit. Uh, that, that is the one part of this film that I vividly remembered from my first viewing, and it still stands out uh, pretty well. And oh man, man, that is horrifying. And at the same time, I feel like that whole scene is put together so well and so such a terrible and uncomfortable way. I mean, the idea of him pulling the pulley or whatever to grind it right up to the edge of his head after he shaves and, you know, takes his hair off and then to stop and walk up to him and just whisper, I've wanted this for a long time and then go through with it. I don't know, man, it was creepy and it was meant to be, and it, landed <laughs> yeah i thought it was a pretty gnarly <laughs> and horrific scene um and i very much appreciated not obviously the violence itself but that was fun uh but also what that pivot represents for the movie which um like i said earlier the movie is very slight but i also did at least give it credit that I kind of liked the way that they played the dynamic between the three brothers, uh, so to speak, as to what their ultimate uh, loyalty is, both to the cause and to each other. And so the idea that the villain in the third act is essentially that guy because of kind of two major reasons. One being a a gross uh, adherence to a purity, you know... uh, that's sanctioned by the religion, I guess. I don't know. Even though I don't even get, I don't really even particularly get the vibe that um, Mike, like Michael Sheen's character, would have cared as much if Lucy Boynton got pregnant. So that almost he just, felt, he just doesn't want nobody touching his little girl. Which I kind of get. I almost thought there was something there that was going to be explained. Like if anybody gets pregnant while the crops are bad, then they also have a bad. Like I thought there was some, you know. But then the movie didn't go in that direction which is fine because it doesn't need to be more convoluted than it kind of already is um but i just thought that was such a that was almost too basic <laughs> of a uh, of a reason but um considering his other reason which is the fact that he knows that michael sheen's uh, malcolm is basically a false prophet so to speak which is actually a half truth um because there is an actual goddess and there are crops and beneficials and whatnot but the fact that what he's saying is not equivalent to the whole picture both gives him an actual justification for what he does in his mind but also uh he's obviously gone off the deep end and is has gone too far uh in that direction and surpasses even somebody like malcolm i like the idea that somebody 
like Malcolm essentially created the quote-unquote monster that ends up dominating the third act, mostly out of his own, you know, incompetence and negligence when it comes to running this religious cult. So I appreciated that pivot. I don't know if you guys thought that was like another turn too much, or if you just didn't care, which all the all that's valid. Just what are your thoughts on? I I just didn't care. I thought that it was just so threadbare. Like, like as you described, like it was just so threadbare that, okay, so these three convicts, like they escape or whatever, and they end up stranded on this island or on this island. They discover this witch. They find a way to, like, they, they understand that somehow her health or her, her, uh, her fertility or vitality is linked to that of the crops on this actual island and somehow from there they spin out their own homemade religion which then manifests into a colony uh there's just a lot it's some of it is just a little too far between the dots for me and the on the animosity like sort of brewing between these three sort of like founding members of of this colony also just feels a little bit too far between the dots for me. And it's, it's just too many leaps. Um, it's, it's really hard for me to, to care about the relationship of these characters when it just feels like the film itself didn't really care to sort of explicate those relationships. So, um, Charles, uh, who becomes, Charles, who becomes... Charles the, and you. <laughs> well, not quite. Uh, who, who becomes the ultimate antagonist. Not ultimate, but he be, ultimately becomes the antagonist uh, at the end of this film. I do think that, that that is where this film does itself a disservice by having its script and its plot be so loose throughout the first hour and 20 minutes. Like, it's a pretty hard turn when he becomes, like, the comical villain at the end of this movie. Like, that guy's just, like, a background character who's, like, looking on from, you know, other places and through windows. And we learn the one thing about him, that he's got a, he's, he's, he's got a mean streak. He's, he might, he can't be trusted. He might go a little too far. And then all of a sudden... He holds a coup uh, at the end of the film and attempts to take over with the people in the black KKK outfits. Um, so I, I don't know, like that part of the story, I will say. You mean the you mean the the extras from Kanye West's Black Skinhead? <laughs> I think either works. Um, I don't know. That was a little bit too of a hard turn for me in terms of uh, like that. That almost is. You'll appreciate this, Nick. That was almost like a like a really abrupt heel turn uh, in the WWE, where this guy went from being like uh, he did his promos. Like, <laughs> he went from being a mid card guy as a face to being a main event player as a heel in like a half second, which seemed a little far fetched. Yeah. Well, okay, so that's interesting, because I feel like this is the first time when this episode might get a little contentious. Um, so, fuck you. No. <laughs> um, fuck but... you! <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Imagine getting worked up over this movie. No, but I, I will say one thing that's interesting is mad. that... <laughs> uh, I will say one thing that's interesting about his character was that I actually 
when he becomes the villain, I actually thought, oh, that makes sense. Because, weirdly enough, I thought the script was underwriting uh, Michael Sheen's character so much to the point I'm like, is he that bad? Like, he is a cult leader, but, like, we haven't gotten past that as a, you know, descriptor. And so I'm like... I, you know, how he's is he? He's a bad he? guy, but is he a bad guy? Well, I just meant as far as, like, actually being able to support a third act, you know, Machiavellian or crazy, whatever. So, because there was a character who was leering at his daughter through peepholes and being, like, and yes, I'm, it's completely threadbare, so I'm not saying it was, like, well-supported, but I will say I do think that it was essentially written into the script even if it was underwritten mostly because i just didn't quite understand how michael sheen was going to get to the third act and still be a villain without doing uh, like a another crazy uh i guess heel turn even though he's not not a bad person but literally all he's doing throughout the entire movie is almost like fighting them because they want to do worse things. Uh, him in particular. Obviously, the guy who plays Frank um, is probably the most soft-hearted out of the three of them. And maybe the most tragic. Uh, but actually, I, I do want to give a shout-out really quick to, I think, his... Oh, you, I forgot. You said his name earlier. It's Paul Higgins, I think, who plays yes. uh, Frank, who is in... Uh, Armando Iannucci's The Thick of It and In the Loop as Jamie, the Scottish uh, sidekick to Malcolm Tucker. Uh, and oh, yeah, he's wow. Yeah. Okay. So to see him play a very kind of meek person in this was a lot of fun, obviously. Um, yeah, he was, uh, his look was definitely giving me like a, like a eight years from now, Thomas Milovich vibe. <laughs> uh, that's a compliment in my book. <laughs> I love that middle ditch. Uh, but, yeah, I um, I guess I was more surprised that it didn't happen sooner. So when it did happen, I was like, I, I thought it was certainly weak. But I was like, okay, at least they're, I thought, you know, changing lanes appropriately. Because I didn't quite understand how it was going to work without that. Even if I didn't completely see it coming. And I think all that's due to the fact that, yeah, it is completely uh, underwritten and whatnot. But I wouldn't say it wasn't sewed into the fabric of, of what came before. I could I could get on board with that. I mean, we do see the couple scenes that are flashbacks of him obviously pulling the strings in a way. Um, yep. But kind of like kind of like Dick Cheney in uh, Washington, no one's going to elect this guy. So uh, we need to have someone else uh, as the face of this arrangement. <laughs> yeah. Although I will say, I don't think we needed a flashback of him discovering the goddess first. <laughs> like the idea that that somehow makes it so that he should have been, not to say that I can't understand why a human being could be petty. Like, obviously that's, certainly a, an attribute that a lot of us have but um that was just one of those silly things where i was like oh, okay so he was like first in line in the really small mine shaft like <laughs> doesn't really but anyway uh so uh one thing i'll definitely want to hit on before uh we we end this and i know we still have plenty more to hit on if everyone's uh got some more things to uh 
uh, bring up. But uh, one thing I definitely wanted to hit on was what everyone thinks of the very last shot of the film uh, and what you take away from that. Because, I mean, it's symbolically got a pretty clear, I think, message to it. But at the same time, um, I think it's definitely open for a lot of different avenues with that image of basically Dan Stevens' mostly dead body being absorbed by the earth on the island. I just think, uh, I mean, one, for his arc, it's it's meant to be sort of like a full circle of like him trying to wish his his uh, his sister to uh, to escape because that's all he really cares about. He cares about her. Like she, like I think at one point, like he says, at least to to some effect, that she is like the last light in his life, and that like he will not let anything happen to her, and to the point where he is wishing off um, her and uh, I can't remember her name, uh, the red haired girl uh, who's Martin's uh, daughter. Um, he, he basically tells her to uh, pray for him, which is like meant to sort of like signify that, you know, this man like is sort of like coming back to his faith, like if only out of desperation of the fact that like, you know, he needs to know that his, 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 his sister made it out alive. Um, him basically like, like the, the, the last shot of this film, I felt like is pretty self-explanatory that, uh, the woman, the the witch, uh, was probably not the first to to sort of like be in this sort of parasitic relationship with the island. For whatever reason, the island like needs some type of host, or at least is drawn to a host uh, in order to sort of like sustain itself. And now he is sort of like been absorbed into that role, into sort of like a a, a beatified or sanctified role of of, of being the uh, the avatar uh, for this for this island, whether or not that means that uh, he will go on living, whether somebody will come to the island again and try to like recreate this whole sort of uh, sordid experiment, I don't know. Um, I don't know what what the future looks like for uh, for that guy, but um, he accomplished what he set out to do, which was to save his sister. Yeah, I I mean, at the very least, I thought the visual of it was pretty great as a final moment, you know. It's kind of a, I don't know, a um, little bit of a hacky, you know, image. Yeah. Too. So, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm not necessarily going to praise it, but I'm not, not really against it either. Um, this is, you know, a movie where a high point is when a kid gets a lobotomy. <laughs> so, um I, you know, I will say that for me it was just a f- extension of the fact that, you know, human beings are the ultimate crop in an ecosystem like this. So um, now that his job was done, he's okay with being, you know, that ultimate sacrifice. I, I actually don't take it as like a he'll become the next whatever so much as, you know, he has nothing else to give anymore now that his uh, assignment and you know, wish has been fulfilled. So he might apostle as well. man. Yeah. I apostle mean, man. Apostle man will return in Avengers Endgame. <laughs> yeah. But, and that he will basically like throughout the whole movie, obviously he was fighting his 
backstory, which, you know, he turned, but now he's like, hey, I'll give myself over to something. You know, what I saw on this island was very uh, corrupted by men, so, you know what, I'm just gonna donate my body to science. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, I that, that ending scene, I actually kind of take it as from what Tucson had mentioned, and Nick, you kind of Whoa. Okay. I don't know what's happening outside my window. Um, I feel like that character. (laughs) Oh, no. Don't say that. Uh, Gus can take care of himself. mm, (laughs) Let's not not get ahead of ourselves. (laughs) I feel like that there does have to be some kind of Davy Jones type character uh, on this island to be the person who who um, draws its life force in this weird uh, way, which is a nice meld in this film of this idea of, is that person a religious God or are they just someone who has been co-opted by nature in some way? Um, So in in that way, I feel like the idea of the uh, goddess asking to be set free. And then we have, have that really bizarre kind of orgasmic explosion of blood out of the side of the mountain as the boat is going away, which I don't know, just seemed so out of place. Uh, but just every part of that just seems like she had to find a successor before she could be set free. Uh, and none of the other people were worthy for that distinction. So I don't know. I mean, that certainly could mean nothing and just be my silly reading of it, but seems pretty plausible for all the things that were going on on this uh, fucked up island. Yes, I agree. Hallelujah. Praise be the book of Malcolm. Oh, Malcolm. Malcolm in the middle. Hey, yeah, I think we can go to final ratings. Yeah, I think that sounds good. Okay, so uh, my final rating for this is three and a half out of five. Uh, I'm a fan, even though I certainly had some critiques uh, that we, uh, during our discussion of this film, I'm a fan. And I think that this is a well put together film by Gareth Evans and definitely a step in a different direction and also a interesting direction i really liked a lot of uh, the use of color the use of uh the use of uh lighting at the nighttime parts of the film uh also to a lot of the story as it goes through even though this is a religious cults type film uh this builds a really nice film throughout even though there are some uneven weaves throughout the entirety of the picture overall though i think that this is a really solid film with pretty decent acting performances i do think that dan stevens is pretty good in this uh and a lot of physical elements that worked really well for this so it's three and a half out of five for me for apostle okay so my rating? Yep. Okay. Um, 
I was not nearly as uh, effusive or positive on this film. Uh, I think that if I were to be presented with the opportunity to watch it again, I would probably turn it down. Uh, I don't hate it, but at the same time, I am utterly unmoved by it, even in its uh, starkest moments of violence. Uh, they don't really leave much of an impact on me. Uh, and I will say that, you know, I am a fan of Gareth Evans. I am looking forward to whatever he produces next. Uh, I, I have a great amount of, uh, of respect and esteem for uh, uh, his raid films, but this really didn't do anything for me. But uh, I, I, I appreciate him being a striver and moving out of um, like sort of his established sort of like genre milieu. And I hope that he continues to uh, grow and explore and experiment as a, as a filmmaker. Uh, that, that said, I give this uh, one and a half out of five. Hell yeah. I thoroughly enjoyed this. Uh, like I said earlier, it's, it's completely slight. Uh, at times it makes no sense. Um, but honestly, it, it all worked for me because I just thought that this was a live wire act of just kind of a down and dirty thriller uh, that takes place during the Western era, but obviously has a much different focus than a lot of genre pieces from that time and uh, I had a lot of fun with it I thought the acting was really good actually like I thought for the most part everybody was better than the material they were given so therefore they picked up a little bit of the slack maybe that's what I was responding to in general but uh yeah I thought it was just a lot of fun and I definitely think everyone should try it because um it's definitely in my opinion a lot m it's more in line with the Netflix commissioned films from, and I'm not saying this quality-wise, but from the higher tier as far as, like, um, you know, Noah Baumbach and Martin Scorsese or whatever, just simply because I do think Gareth Evans essentially made the film he wanted to make. Um, there are a lot of other Netflix projects out there that seem a lot more, um, like, uh, just kind of throwaway and whatnot. And love this or hate this, um... It uh, It is very unwavering in the fact that it wants to be this weird slow burn into uh, this wicker western nightmare. And uh, for that, I kind of appreciated it. You don't really see it every day. So I personally give it 4 out of 5 because I thought it was quite good. Um, however, it, it's not something I necessarily praise so much as I just enjoyed watching it. So 4 out of 5 from me. Awesome, dude. Yeah. Well, if you out there have any thoughts, uh, feel free, as always, to send them on to us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. Coming up on our next episode, our friend Sam is going to join us uh, as we talk about a film that was released last year called Knives and Skin. I actually had never heard of this before. Uh, and I'm interested to see what exactly it is as uh, the story that it surrounds, um, you know, seems somewhat unique, uh, but also somewhat done before. So we will see what this is all about. Yeah, I'm excited to watch it because I've heard quite a few things about it and definitely heard uh, that 
it's very divisive. Basically, when I went on Letterboxd just to kind of peruse my friend's ratings, it was very uh, high and low. <laughs> it looks like it. Uh, the trailer is intriguing. Uh, I wonder how the film is going to follow through or, or not follow through on uh, what was sort of portrayed through that, but I am intrigued. Yep. Uh, prolific uh, Letterbox user, uh, Matt Lynch, uh, has a blurb that pretty much has me jonesing to at least watch it because he put, uh, think Nick reference the ice storm and you're getting close. <laughs> so <laughs> those are two of my favorite things in general. <laughs> so obviously I'm, I'm ready to see what the hell this is. Mm. Another person that I also very much enjoyed put uh, DNF on their review, which is do, did not finish. So it could go either way. So, yeah yeah let's see we'll see i uh i'm i feel like i'm set up to not like this but i've had those before and i've liked them a lot so we'll see (laughs) okay well um as always thank you everybody for listening you can always catch our episodes at our website filmtankshow.com and also on apple podcasts and on Spotify. Spotify and Stitcher. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, um, from Tucson Egan, Nick Cheney, myself, Alex Diegman, thank you very much for listening to us here at Film Tank. We'll wait. We'll catch up with you next time. Oof. Ooh, let, boy. Let us play. Oof. Oof.